The scripture lesson today comes from the wisdom literature known as Proverbs. Let's share in God's good word together. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I can't believe I said that. Why did I do that? Where did that come from? Emotions can get the best of us. If we're not careful, things like anger, lust, greed, fear, and envy can shape our actions much more than we want them to. Behaving appropriately in public is important, but it's not nearly enough. We need to check our hearts because what is in us comes out of us, sometimes when we least expect it. My name is Mark Foster, and I'm the founding senior pastor of the people known as Acts 2 United Methodist Church. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at our true selves, our emotions, and who we really are, and who God really is, and what God cares about. Let's get started. This week, we start a new sermon series called All the Feels, When Emotions Get the Best of Us. I love all these little characters, and if you've seen the movie Inside Out, you know that we need all of our emotions, sadness, as well as joy, anger, disgust, envy, fear, all of them serve their purpose, and we need each and every one of them. So over the next number of weeks, we'll be looking at our emotions. All the feels is what it's called, when emotions get the best of us. And today, I want to start with this, that all of this is a matter of the heart. Each and every bit of what comes out of our life comes out of our heart. And here's the problem. The problem is in America, we have this idea that somehow self-direction, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, if we can simply do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and if we can make enough money to get ourselves out of trouble if we get caught doing some of those things, then we think we have it made. But as you might have guessed... The problem with this is self. It's not that we need self-direction or self-reliance or self-sufficiency. What we need is to be loved, to be guided, supported, cared for by a power greater than ourselves. That is the deepest longing of every human, that we would actually have people that care for us regardless uh, of what we can do for them. We want to be supported in our time of need. We want to know that we have friends and family and loved ones that surround us in good times and in bad. We want to be people who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and often, so often these days, on the same day. The great Saint Thomas Akempis wrote it like this. He said, God does not deceive, but man is deceived when he places too great a trust in himself. God walks with those whose hearts are simple. In more modern day language, I love the way Andy Stanley puts it. He says, we don't get in trouble because we won't take advice. We get in trouble because we take our own advice. When we finally get to that point where we're calling the shots and we're doing exactly what we want, well, watch out. Because sooner or later, when you're making all the calls and all the shots, you're going to miss some. And sometimes that's very public. In my own life, um, I made a decision a few weeks ago. Uh, that I thought was a good decision. We were going to finally, after about 11 years, paint our house. 
And before I came up here to, to do this today, I took a few photos to share with you the loveliness that is my home these days with this great decision of mine to paint our house finally. It looks like this. This is my den. It's great, isn't it? You can see out the windows. You can't sit on any of the furniture. The TV is unplugged. The internet is now spotty. Now you can move over to the, the little you know, kitchen area where everything again is unusable. Or you can go to the kitchen itself where you cannot use the refrigerator, the oven, the dishwasher, the sink, or anything else because I make such great decisions. Maybe you've made some like that. And it all began because of our entryway. You can see as you enter our house, you might find that an odd place to put a couch. I would agree. But if you're going to paint your house, you have to pull everything off the walls and away from the walls. Otherwise, you're going to get paint on all your stuff. And so do you see these wonderful decisions I'm making? It sometimes creates chaos. And those are actually planned decisions. I bet every once in a while you've come across things in your life where you didn't even plan to say something or do something. Have you ever been in that argument with your spouse or your friend and you're just going along and you get more angry or you're not in a guarded moment and you say something and then you say, oh, I didn't mean that. Well, the problem is you did mean it. You just didn't mean to say it. And that's the problem with our hearts. So this is what I want you to know about today when we're looking at our emotions. And that is that when we come to God and God's laws, the things that God asks us to do or commands us to do, it's not to make God happy. God doesn't ask us to pray so that God goes, oh, yay, they're praying. It doesn't work like that. We don't come to worship so that God goes, oh, goody, look how many people are worshiping to me. It doesn't work like that. We need to pray. We need to worship. We need to give. We need to serve. We need to live full out for God because that's what's best for us. God doesn't need anything from us. We need God. And so all these things that we find in the Bible, they're not to make God happy. God's not that small. God loves you perfectly and doesn't need anything from you. Now, God would like a relationship with you and all of his children, but he doesn't need that. God's law and everything in the Bible is there to let you know about God and to let you know what people are like and to help you. Every law is for the benefit of God's people. In just a moment, we're going to take a look in the book of Matthew and where it talks about food laws and cleanliness and hand washing. Friends, that wasn't so that God could be, yippee, oh, yay, they washed their hands, although it's a good idea, especially these days. But imagine the Jewish people were saved and lived healthy, wonderful lives well before anybody ever discovered germs hundreds and thousands of years later because God had put in place for his people things that would help them and bless them and serve them well. But here's the thing about religion and laws in general, and that is that religious folk, particularly people in leadership, we have a terrible inclination to interpret Scripture in a way that exempts themselves and holds others accountable. If I get to be the one that tells you what the Bible means, and that's part of my role here, there's always the temptation to, to read it in such a way where it doesn't affect me. I don't have anything to do, but maybe you do. And if you are a part of a church, or you are part of a religious system, or you are part of an organization that is leaning into you and, and saying to you, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do that in order to please God or to be a good person, run away. Because God doesn't need any of that from you. Simply follow Jesus. 
because Jesus loves you, gave himself for you completely on the cross, not because of your behavior, but because of God's character of love and grace and forgiveness for all of his children. So the Bible says this in the book of Matthew. The religious folks, the Pharisees and the scribes, you can read that as religious leaders, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, from Jerusalem is a tell because you and I know that's the headquarters, right? So they're sending folks from headquarters to check in on Jesus. Uh, this is, if you're in a melodrama, it's like, dun, 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 because here they go. They're going to try to trick and trap Jesus. And they say, well, why, do, why, Jesus, do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands before they eat, speaking of his disciples. Now, each and every time you find these Pharisees and scribes and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're always trying to trick and trap Jesus. They're trying to get him in trouble because he's blowing up their entire system, which is completely set up for them to win and other people to lose. And so the religious leaders here in Matthew are trying to trick and trap Jesus. Now, when the Bible says the tradition of the elders, if you'll look in the footnote of your study Bible, it's going to say this. It is the oral rabbinical exposition or interpretation of the law of Moses. You see, you and I know that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that is the Torah. That is the five books of the law, and that was written down. But then there was a whole other set of traditions of the elders, of of rabbis and Pharisees and scribes, and they knew things that other people didn't know. And there's some question whether it was even ever written down. And and just think of this. If you get to make the rules of the game, you're going to win the game. And if you get to interpret what those rules are and you're the only ones that get to do that, then you're going to win the game. It gives you a lot of power, gives you a lot of control. And so they, they, looking at Jesus, they ask him, what are your disciples doing? Well, they're not washing their hands the way the, the tradition of the elders says so, something that they know themselves. And Jesus answers their question with a question. Jesus says, no, 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 you're talking about the oral rabbinical interpretation of the law. What are you doing about the actual law? So look what Jesus does. He says, and why do you, right? So Jesus answers them, right? So they're, they're on him about what his disciples' actions. He says, no, no, no. Why do you break the commandment of God? Why do you in your own oral, you know, what you're, what you're saying that you get to manipulate, why are you using that? I'm asking you, why are you actually breaking the written word of God, the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he says this, you hypocrites. Say that with me. You hypocrites, you play actors. You're not who you think that you're making other people think you are. Not at all. Now you're going to note all the way through all the gospels, Jesus gets really upset with one group of people and that's hypocrites. People who say one thing and do another. That God does not like. You hypocrites. Isaiah the prophet prophesied rightly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. That's what God is concerned about, about your heart, about your intention, about your life, about your character. And so here's the thing about Scripture. Scripture is best used as a mirror, as a way for us to find ourselves in the Scripture and say, where am I in this story? Where am I in the Scripture? How does this affect me? What what does God want to do with me? What change might I need to make in my life? Scripture is best used as a mirror and not a weapon. When you find yourself using Scripture to insulate or isolate yourself and to weaponize it against another group of people, you know you are in deep weeds. That's not where Jesus hangs out. Jesus is always pulling up the Scripture 
to show God's love, God's mercy for the least and the lost and the last. Like in Luke 15 when he talks about the lost coin or the lost sheep or the lost son. God cares a lot about you and how you're doing and about all his kids. That means the person in front of you, the person next to you, the person behind you, the person at work, the person at Walmart, the person who won't wear their mask, the person who is not nice to you uh, because they're wearing yours and they think they're high and mighty. All of the above. Jesus says they all matter to me. They all matter to God. And because they matter to God, they ought to matter to you. Now, before we get down this road too much, I want to say this. Sometimes people wonder if they can be in God's love or God's good graces because of what they've been through or what's happened to them. And friends, it's not about what happens to us. It is about our openness to what God wants to do through us. So it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what trauma you've been through. It's not that it's unimportant, but what is most important is your openness to what God wants to do with you next. So I want you to see what Jesus says as the story continues. Then he called the crowd to him because this whole crowd is now gathered because it's like, ooh, the guys from headquarters and Jesus who is pushing up against the authority. And he says this, listen and understand because this is what God cares about. He's like, listen up and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's not what you eat. It's not your washing ritual. It's none of that. No, no, no. He says, It is what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of you, what comes out of your heart, what comes out of your soul that defiles. What your character really is. When when stuff comes up and out of you that harms others, that's important to God. That's a concern of God because we're to love God and we're to love others. So it's not the stuff that goes in. It's not what happens to you. It's what comes up and out of you that's important to God. He's looking at your heart, always looking at your heart. So here's a good question for us. What's coming out of your mouth these days? What's coming out of our life these days? What's coming out of our mouths and online as a community these days? What is our witness to a hurting world that so desperately needs love and grace and support and all those things that every human needs? Will they find it in us? So, what is most important to God? Jesus says, it's your heart. It's your character. It's your soul. It's what lasts forever. And so as the story continues, Peter comes over to Jesus on the side after this, and he says this. He says, explain this to us, Jesus. And then Jesus says to Peter, uh, maybe kidding with him, um, hey, Peter, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth enters your stomach and goes out into the sewer? He's like, look, that's not a big deal. This happens with you a couple times a day. We all know this, Peter, right? You know, it comes in, it goes out. You don't have to be worried about that. But what comes in and up and out of your life, out of your mouth, proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. All of these things. Jesus is going to talk in a different place in the Gospels about looking at a woman with lust. That's where lust starts. It doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts with a look. It starts with a glance. It starts with an intention. We're all going to have thoughts, and we all have the opportunity whether we let that thought pass or whether we let it linger. And it doesn't matter. That's not true just with lust. That's also true with gluttony. That's also true with envy. That's also true with anger. It's also true with slander and malice. All these negative things that come across our lives, we have the opportunity to let them go 
or to let them linger. And the more we let them linger, the more it hurts us and hurts others. It hurts our heart. These are what defile a person, the scripture says. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. It is not about the little religious so-and-sos. It doesn't matter whether you pray kneeling down or pray standing up. It doesn't matter if you take communion by intinction uh, or with a little glass or, or with Hawaiian bread or flat wafers. All of that stuff is for your help. What matters is how you treat your neighbor. And then Jesus says this also, and no faking. Like, God knows your heart, so, so let's not pretend, you know? He says, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you religious hypocrites, hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not go in yourselves, and when others are going in, you stop them. You have the audacity not to live for God, and then judge and push other people back and go, you're not doing it right. Jesus, stop that. No, 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 no. We are not to be people who keep people out. If you are a person who's connected to God, you are to welcome others in. It is our core value here to welcome all. And not only that, good behavior doesn't get you there either. You don't think that you can buy your way into heaven. It's not that you go and do something bad and then you give a guilt offering on a, on a Sunday or online because you're trying to get back in God's good graces. He says, no, that doesn't work either. He says, woe to you, you religious folks, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Like, no. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin. These were sort of their uh, currencies of the time. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, things like justice and mercy and faith. These matter. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others, you blind guides. That was a common expression in Jesus' day with the blind leading the blind. That was always going to lead to disaster. So Jesus is saying you don't have to listen to that anymore. It's not about all these little religious roles and responsibilities. It is about your relationship with Jesus, with God, with one another. So don't think you can fill God with, fool God with good behavior, you know, on a Sunday in front of the preacher. Jesus, don't, don't do that. This is not behavior modification. It's not trying to put on airs, you know, for an hour on Sunday or online or trying to, you know, look a certain way. It's not behavior management. It's not image management. So again, Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you religious folks, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others. Yeah, you can, you can pull that off for a little while, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so here's, here's the thing, friends. You can fake it for a while. You might even be able to fake it for an hour or two. But sooner or later, and certainly by the time you're dead, there are no more secrets. Our hearts are exposed. Our lives are exposed. The way we have lived our life will be not a secret anymore to anybody. And God is encouraging us. Jesus has encouraged us to live our lives full out in joy and celebration and peace and love and harmony in a ways that when in this life and the next, we are going to be people of peace, of worship, of incredible joy and happiness, of integration, that there's not a mark that acts this way over here and then acts that way over here, that I'm always the same person before God and before others. And when I find myself tempted to judge other people, I'm again reminded by the great saints that have gone before us. I love this from Thomas Kempis. He says, Be not angry, 
that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. Isn't that true? That we, we dare not judge other people and say, well, you know, they should have done this or they should have done that, when we know full well that we are still struggling with the same things we've been struggling with for years. We can't change ourselves around things. That's dependent on the grace of God. And, and we can't make other people change either. Now, here's, here's the thing that's important. The condition of your heart does not change God's love for you. God loves you always, period, dot. The condition of your heart does change the way you think about the way God may perceive you. So, Jesus says this. Pray then in this way. You'll know this, many of you who've been church people. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well, hold on a minute. We're asking God to forgive us to the extent which we have forgiven others. If there are people who owe you money, I want you to seriously consider letting them off the hook about that. As you do that, you are more willing and able to accept God's free grace for you in areas of life where you feel on the hook. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And then I think it's interesting that the church has dropped this from the prayer. But this is what Jesus says immediately after he tells the disciples how to pray. He says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, as an exclamation point, if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And what I think this means is not that God's angry with you. It's not that God refuses in the way. It's that we can accept it. Until we become the sort of people, by God's grace, that forgive others, we can't fathom being forgiven those things. You see, the condition of your heart determines your ability to participate in what God is doing. To participate in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The condition of your heart either opens you up to love and forgiveness and grace and freedom and joy, or the condition of your heart, the hardness of your heart, keeps you from being able to forgive others or to receive forgiveness. And the Christian faith in life is one that we have fruits of repentance. As we've turned our lives towards God, we ask God to come in and change us. That Because we've been forgiven so much, we can forgive those around us of all the little things that annoy us or have caused us harm. And sometimes those are very big things. They're not just little things. So friends, we are all in this together. This time of COVID, this time of frustration, this time of division, this time where the very fabric of the world is being torn at. The scripture reminds us that the way to move through this, to not let our emotions get the best of us, is to keep our heart, the scripture says, with all vigilance. Because it's your heart that matters. It is your heart that God looks at. For from it flows the very springs of life. So what is most important to God is what you say and do to those around you. The, the, the people actually came to Jesus and they said, okay, there, there's all of these laws. I mean, hundreds of them in the Torah. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus says back to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And people would nod and go, yes, we know that. And then he said this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Every single one of them. 
Because the way that the world knows that we love God is by the way we love one another. And when I say one another, what I mean is every other. So, our action step for this week is this. As you think back on your life, you think about maybe the conversations you've had this week. What is that emotion that competes for control of your life? Do you find yourself scrolling through Facebook and getting angry at those knuckleheads that are saying this, that, or the other? Do you find yourself watching the news and becoming envious of people in power or uh, maybe the folks that are on vacation, uh, you know, all those folks that are in those places that you wish you could be but you can't be for some reason, you know, all the folks at the beach or all the folks at the mountains or all the folks that are where you wish you were. Maybe it's envy that's got a hold of you these days. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. But whatever it is for you, it doesn't have to control you any longer. You can offer that up to Jesus. I want to invite you to offer that emotion to Jesus and let him do with it whatever he chooses for your good. Because when we offer our life to Jesus and we offer all of our life, our real life, not our hypocritical life, not the life we wish people thought we had, but our real true life. When we offer that up, including all of our emotions, something good is waiting for you on the other side of that. Because God is always working for your good. He's a way maker, miracle worker promise keeper, a light, even in the midst of our darkness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.